Since March 2009, the Pharmacy Podcast has been developing content monthly, weekly, and daily for the business of pharmacy. With more than 25 different podcast channels, more than 1 million downloads, and 30-plus participating pharmacists, the Pharmacy Podcast Network is the global leader in podcasting for the pharmacy professional. Find all of our podcast channels by going to pharmacypodcast.com forward slash shows. Hey, pharmacy owners out there, thank you for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Running a pharmacy business is not easy. The obstacles for succeeding today are tough. When I came across a product that gives pharmacy owners an edge, I get excited. That's why I want to tell you about the Pen Needle UltiGuard Safe Pack. When pharmacies dispense these pen needles, they see consistently higher revenue and higher margins. With the Pen Needle UltiGuard Safe Pack, you're doing more for your patients and more for your pharmacy's bottom line. Check it out for yourself. Go to UltiGuardSafePack.com forward slash podcast. That's UltiGuardSafePack.com forward slash podcast. And let us know what you think. And as always, thank you for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast. Pharmacy benefit managers, better known as PBMs, are responsible for negotiating payment rates for a large share of prescription drugs distributed in the United States. Recently, state Medicaid systems, policymakers, and national pharmacy associations have expressed concern that certain PBMs' business practices may not be consistent with public policy goals to improve the value of pharmaceutical spending. This podcast series is all about PBM reform. Listen to the discussions, share these podcasts, and help build a new pharmacy payer system which supports our independent and community pharmacies, encourages fair and transparent competition in the marketplace, and most importantly, is designed to deliver the best patient care. Pharmacy Podcast Nation, welcome back to the Pharmacy Podcast. This is the PBM Reform Podcast Series. We have been out with so many projects that have come from COVID-19 and supporting the champions, the frontliners, pharmacists out there doing the work. We thank you. We love you. We support you. If you need anything, please, as we've been saying, reach out to the Pharmacy Podcast. We will do data gathering for you. We'll search for masks. We'll do whatever. 412-585-4001. That's 412-585-4001. Or email us at publisher at pharmacypodcast.com. PBM Reform Podcast Series. We are excited because a uh, organization that I have known for about eight years now, who has been a champion of independent community pharmacy, which is trickling into other facets of our pharmacy, including specialty, compounding, um, long-term care, senior care, privately owned pharmacy overall, Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency, we're going to have Monique Whitney, who is the executive director of PUT, take over the show and interview two pharmacy owners, one in Oklahoma, one in Virginia State. It's going to be a really interesting conversation. And what we're going to be talking about today is reimbursement. There was a recent article out of the Becker's Hospital Review, and it didn't get very much push, but I'm going to push it because of the topic, and that is reimbursement. And there was a title that said, Ohio small pharmacies say they're fighting to survive on CVS Caremark reimbursements. 
This was published on March, two uh, March 24th, 2020. And there was a reference from Andy Becker, PharmD, who's director of pharmacy operations for a small pharmacy chain in Ohio. He has stores in West Virginia and Kentucky. And he told the dispatch that reimbursements for CVS Caremark fell from $5 down below $2 for reimbursement for the dispensing fee, all in a matter of uh, 30 days to his shift from a 90-day circle period, which really disrupted his business, as you can imagine. Welcome back, Monique. We were excited to Thank have you. you on episode, I think it was 906. It was the second part, but welcome back. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. It's a great pleasure always to be with you, Todd, and to be on this show. And I'm so excited to have the two gentlemen here today with us. I'd like to introduce first Jeremy Counts. He is a pharmacy owner and a pharmacist in Blacksburg, Virginia. Jeremy, say hi. Hey, how you doing? Good, good. Glad to have you. Thank you so much for being here. And then also Oliver Lackey, who is a pharmacy owner and a pharmacist in Fairview, Oklahoma, and he is also a member of the PUP board. Oliver? Hi, Monique. Pleasure to be here. Hi, thank you so much. So as Todd mentioned, we're going to talk about reimbursements and this, this, is, a, this is a big topic. We could talk about this for a long, 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 long time. Uh, Todd mentioned COVID. As, we are, as we're recording this, as you know, we are in the middle of the pandemic and we're gratefully, I think in many parts of the country at a point where it's starting to level off, but the issues that face pharmacies every single day are still there. In fact, they've been amplified by the virus and uh, the, the crush to try to uh, help people get their medications and now having to do so in different ways. And that, of course, is its own special topic. But why I think it matters right now at this time when we're looking at reimbursements is precisely because the issues were already there. They've been amplified. And a lot of people don't understand what it is about reimbursements that's so incredibly important. Uh, Oliver, I know that you, you and I talk about this a lot. Uh, how would you, how would you explain the issue of reimbursement and what it means to a pharmacy? Well, my biggest, um, in correlation with the COVID nineteen pandemic, and um, my my biggest point for reimbursement is, if are there any pharmacies that are strictly prescription only? We don't see that anymore because reimbursement has gotten so low over the years that um, independent pharmacies have had to branch out into other areas of um, revenue. And that's not because we went to pharmacy school because we want to run gun shops or knickknack shops or hearing aid centers or college team merchandise shops or candy stores. It's because PBMs have taken every ounce of profit out of the pharmacy world that we have had to subsidize our pharmacies, you know, because we want to be here and we want to take care of our patients, especially, you know, right now in their time of need. Um, but we've had to, to subsidize that with all these other revenue streams. Um, and now, you know, most of our stores have gone to, you know, drive through only. So now, you know, revenue is is down because all of our, you know, ancillary um, revenue streams are gone. And now we're 100% relying on our um, PBM reimbursement. And it's just not there. 
And, and so over the years we've lost that and, you know, now we're really hurting, you know, many people think, well, you know, pharmacies, you know, they're essential, they're still open, but, you know, we don't have the, the reimbursements from PBMs to be able to, to make this last, you know, we're busy, we're filling prescriptions, but, you know, more volume of underwater prescriptions does not translate into increased revenue. And so, you know, us independent pharmacies are hurting, and, and that's a, you know, a product of the, the PBM abuse. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's interesting because as you're talking, I'm, I'm thinking about, so there's a pharmacy here in, I, in where, where I office and where I work from is Phoenix, Arizona, and there's a, a pharmacy here, an independent pharmacy, uh, that, that on its front end, because you're really talking about the front end as well as the, the, the back end, the quote unquote back end, the, the pharmacy prescription part of it, right? On his front end, he sells all of these beautiful things, all these beautiful pieces of merchandise. You almost wouldn't even know it was a pharmacy going in. And I asked him one time why he was doing that. And it was exactly for the reason that you talked about, because you would think a pharmacy whose core business is medication therapy for patients, you are the dispensers of the medication, the counselors of the, the, of the medication and how it's intended to be used. And yet you can't run a business just on that. You have to have something else on your front end, whether it's, you know, additional medications or it's, you know, as you said, guns or, or, you know, sporting goods or whatever would be on that front end. It, it's just strange to think that of all the businesses out there, pharmacies have to go into another business to subsidize their pharmacy business. Just not right. No, but that's, you know, that's just been a product of, you know, back in the good old days, there were, you know, pharmacies that had, you know, they would have a soda fountain, you know, but that was more just to, you know, kind of, kind of be there for their patients. But, you know, if you go look at independent pharmacies, we're, we're pretty, in, you know, ingenious in coming up with things that we can do to essentially subsidize our pharmacy. And, yeah. you know, we went to school for six years and, you know, we, we love taking care of our, our patients. And, you know, I hate it that, you know, it's come to this and that, you know, for the simple fact of, you know, PBMs taking, you know, every scrap of, of profit out of pharmacy, you know, we've now had to, had to become, you know, gun shop owners and knickknack owners. And, and it's just not right. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's a tough spot to be in. Yeah, absolutely. Jeremy, I'm curious about your thoughts on that. Have you had to uh, resort to anything, you know, different or, or unusual to help keep your store afloat? Uh, my store is a little different than a lot of other stores. Where I'm located in Blacksburg, I have a lot of private insurance that pays a lot better than Part D or anything else. So it's actually, I'm, I'm able to do pretty well with just my back end, but it's really not great. I, you know, I don't pay myself quite what I should or anything like that. My front end sales are, you know, this or that. I mean, I do a little bit of compounding, but... I, you cannot predict what you're actually getting paid. And the Part D patients that I do have, uh, it is pretty much me breaking even or losing money, uh, especially on brand name medications. I, I lose money on every single Part D brand name when all is said and done. Uh, all across the board, I may make about 3%. Uh, and then most of that comes back and they swap it away. It's, it's pretty bad out there. Uh, mm -hmm. I... I try to ver diversify just a little bit and do a little bit more on the front end, but it's, it's really not, 
something that I ever got into pharmacy for doing. I'm a second generation pharmacist. I grew up in the independent pharmacy. And uh, if you look at it and you look at the three uh, access report that just came out with the MAC pricing and how it's delayed and the shortages we're all seeing right now, uh, things like tacrolimus, everything else, I'm, I'm just losing money even on these generics for these private plans. So it's, we don't know what we're getting paid. We don't know what might something might cost next month. It's just something we have to try to adapt to. And uh, we cannot stop until PBMs are either under control or they don't exist. There, there's no reason for them to exist. Yeah, absolutely. So for people who are listening who are maybe not as familiar with reimbursements, just to break that down into the essence of what what the problem is here and what we're talking about. A pharmacy is in an, a different kind of business than I think most people realize that it is, right? So you are in in many ways you are just like a retail store. So you carry inventory on your shelves. You have what you ha sell out front and you have the inventory that you have behind the counter that you dispense. You have employees that you pay, you have overhead that you pay, there are licensing and certification fees that you pay. And some of those have to go to the PBM because PBMs are responsible as part of their own plan design for putting together networks of pharmacies in order to ensure that any patient who's part of their plan can have adequate access to a pharmacy. So what ends up happening is the pharmacy has to go through the PBM, who is the designer of the benefits plan. They are the seller of the plan, either to another insurance company or maybe direct to the employer. And that PBM then becomes, as the middleman, the administrator of the plan. So what they do is they set a price. They make a determination for the, the drugs that they are covering on a plan formulary they set that price, they determine what they will reimburse a pharmacy for this dispensed drug. And very often what they reimburse the pharmacy for, because the pharmacy has bought the, bought the drug, bought the product, has dispensed the product and done so in good faith. They've counseled the patients, they provided a service, all of this done in good faith. And then the PBM comes back and they reimburse and very often that reimbursement is not enough to cover the hard cost of just the medication, let alone the bottle, the label, the labor. Is that right? Is that, is that how you would describe it, Jeremy? Oh, that's exactly how I'd describe it. Uh, just from the beginning of the year, I've seen an overall decrease of about $3 per Rx uh, compared to last year. It's ridiculous with all the patient steering and everything else going on. We're just fighting on so many fronts and there's only so much we can do. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and what's frustrating about that is that, I mean, and, and Oliver, you know, I'd love for you to chime in on this too, but, you know, name another business out there where you are required to lose money. You're required to sell a product for less than you could acquire that product for. There isn't one, right? No, there, there's, and, and the reason there isn't is because it's not viable. You know, the average cost to fill a script um, are in cost, you know, they say is anywhere from 12 to $13-ish, um, you know, and that's an average of prescriptions. So, you know, even even the, the Walmart $4 deal, you know, that is, that everybody, you know, on cash, you know, cheap generics, you know, they, they quote that and they're like, well, how come you can't do the $4, you know, 
and prescriptions like well you know that four dollars they bring you in make you wait an hour and you go and buy two hundred dollars in merchandise and they just covered that four dollar lost leader you know prescription so you know that the the costs of prescriptions has been you know between walmart and and pbms you know the customers don't have any idea what a true cost is to you know to fill and and you know like you said it's when you have a third party that is actually a true competitor so say cvs caremark they are um you know a direct competitor with independent pharmacy because they have brick and mortar pharmacies um but they're also the middleman that is is processing you know is, is setting my reimbursement so my direct competitor is um setting my reimbursement for for my prescriptions and so it is beneficial for them to reimburse me less you know than than what it actually costs me to fill it because you know if i'm out of the way then you know the the next best choice is going to be you know my patients have to go to their stores and the funny thing with that is you know it it's been proven over and over and over that that the pbms that have their own brick and mortar stores um, you know, with all that money's coming out of the same pot, so they're just moving money from one pocket to the next, and they're actually reimbursing their own stores more than they're reimbursing my independent pharmacy. And we've proven it over and over and over, and that's how we got, you know, some good legislation passed in Oklahoma, is because you know we've taken those hard numbers into our legislators to show, you know, how. Um, you know, the, the Medicaid systems and private insurance insurers have been getting fleeced by, you know, this whole system. So, yeah, and it's interesting that you bring up CVS because, you know, you're pointing to a couple different things. So you're pointing, first of all, to the degree of, of what, what you hear people say in the industry all the time. There's this vertical integration which is happening. You have like a group like CVS. So CVS on the Fortune 500 comes in at number nine. So there's Walmart, there's Apple, there's Amazon. And then, you know, just a couple notches below those guys is, is CVS Health, right? And CVS is not just CVS. It's not just those drug stores. So when I'm talking to my mom, my mom is always saying, she and my mother loves CVS. And you know, she lives in a small little town and CVS is the only pharmacy that she has access to. So she, we talk about this all the time. She just does not understand why it would be a conflict of interest for CVS to have pharmacies. But the reality is exactly what you just said. You have this group which now owns an insurance company named called Aetna. They've got a pharmacy benefits division called Caremark. And then they own these pharmacies and they don't have any incentive to make pricing competitive and they don't make pricing competitive you you mentioned the evidence well putt did a study in 2018 of in 26 states pulling random pharmacies none of these pharmacies knew each other none of them are in any kind of networks together we, we pulled random pharmacies and we price checked commonly prescribed drugs and what we saw over and over and over again was it was the cbs's it was the walmart's walmart's of the four dollar you know price drug right those were the ones that were consistently getting paid significantly more and we did that study in response to cvs coming out on the record and and saying publicly that they absolutely did not pay 
themselves more than independent pharmacies. In fact, they said they paid independent pharmacies more and they were trying to cast independent pharmacies as greedy. So, you know, yeah, what are you going to do about What that, they're going right? to do is kind of what they did in Florida. They're going to shift money around. Whenever they own the entire chain, they don't have to pay their pharmacies more. They could be like, oh, look, look at this. We're, we're paying these pharmacies just the same when they're making their money either the PBM side or now the Aetna side. They, they, whenever they own the entire game, they can do whatever they want. So all the data that the PBMs, especially uh, CVS, which by the way, shouldn't be allowed to practice pharmacy. I think all the boards of pharmacies shouldn't allow CVSs. Uh, just because of what they've done to our profession. Whenever they're able to move it around like that, you can't bring just data. They own all of the data from the entire chain. So it's hard to fight them on that because we just have no access to any of that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then in, in that Florida study, and Jeremy referenced this a moment ago, you talked about patient steering. Uh, that Florida study showed a prime example. There was one drug, generic Gleevec, uh, where and, and it showed in one area of the state there was a CVS, there were two other pharmacies just right there within a few blocks of that CVS. And that CVS had filled the majority of this generic Gleevec prescriptions, but not just that, not just that CVS. CVS, in fact, filled 96% of all of that generic Gleevec prescription over the course of the, the, where they studied the numbers over the course of five years. You know, that is a perfect example of what we're talking about as well, because you, if you're the designer of the plan and you can determine what your competitors are going to be reimbursed, you can also determine how and where patients are going to interact with their pharmacy of choice, a, a small independent community pharmacy, or your pharmacy. If it's, they can, they can almost cherry pick the prescriptions that they can make more money off of, which is another Send disturbing them to their specialty pharmacy. Study. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So then, you know, so then looking at this, look, going back to reimbursements, we have this issue where we're talking about, we are right now only in this topic talking about recovering the cost of goods sold. Any, anyone who's ever studied business or, or worked in business or engaged in business understands that at the most basic level, you have an item that you sell, there's a cost to acquire that item, and then there's a markup to cover uh, your overhead, your time, and a little bit of profit. Uh, when we talk about reimbursements, we're not even talking about a markup. So there's also something called the dispensing fee. So uh, Jeremy, maybe you could uh, tell our listeners a little bit more about the dispensing fee and, and what it is and why, why we have it and you see, the easiest thing in the world to do so we wouldn't have to do all these ridiculous MTMs and document all this stuff that we do at a glance anyway uh, is just give us a fair dispensing fee, which I think the new study, uh, I think it was NCPA did it, our, the new cost of dispense is around $20 per Rx. So we're getting paid less than what it takes for us uh, that we're charged to actually process this to adjudicate it so we may get a dispensing fee of 10 cents uh, compared to the 20 dollars it takes to actually fill the prescription with the bottle labor everything else and so we're getting 10 cents and it costs us more to peg their servers than we get back on a dispensing fee it's a joke they could just give us you know the 20 dollars cost of dispense we would do most of these services by ourselves but they don't want that the more paperwork they have the more money that they make the more they can justify and the more they can bill for it's it's a 
it's a scam. It's a fraud. It's the biggest fraud in American history. On every single level, we have documented cases of PPM fraud across the entire drug pricing and supply chain. It's, it's got to stop. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and so when we look at that dispensing fee and we're talking about, you know, you, you mentioned that the NCPA, so for those of you who do not know who that is, that's the National Community Pharmacists Association. They are the organization for community pharmacy and we love them and thank them and appreciate them for the, all the work that they do on behalf of community pharmacy. So they've had this study and they've shown what the new cost is to dispense. So the cost to dispense is really something that was meant to cover uh, the overhead, right? At a very basic level, minimally, there's a cost associated with dispensing and that's got, that cost you know, is like the, the bottle and the label and the time spent counseling. And you know, here we have a situation where you have plans that don't, don't pay the dispensing fee or that's typ what's typical under managed care. And then you have plans under fee-for-service where there is a dispensing fee. And either way, it's never quite enough just to cover the cost of staying in business. And then they send us uh, letters and give us phone calls trying to buy our pharmacy while they're pushing us out. Right. <laughs> Right, right, exactly. So in Virginia, you've had some interesting, uh, interesting things happen there. Uh, Jeremy, tell us a little bit about that and and who some of the your legislators were that you know championed your cause and helped turn the tide there. Oh yeah, it's it's great. We uh, passed this uh, new bill where PPMs uh, have to be licensed. Um, it encompasses. Most insurance is in plans. We we can't, of course, touch Part D, but uh, big shout out to my senator on the state level, John Edwards. Uh, he did a great job. He actually sponsored SB 251. Uh, it is mandating that PPMs have to, uh, number one, they can't practice patient steering the way they are. Uh, they have to reimburse us at the level that they reimburse their own pharmacies. It's a big, big deal. Like it doesn't, it's, it's a really good start. And Scott Newman, I, I know you all know Scott. Uh, uh -huh. He did, he did a great job pushing for this with VPHA and putting everything. And it's just been, it's really great. We got it passed on the house level. Um, my uh, representative, uh, Chris Hurst, he voted for it. I was really happy with that. Um, we got it passed on the House level, signed into law. But recently, we just got a call uh, to action. The governor actually replaced uh, the Senate bill. He made an amendment, which we're trying to fight down, where it replaces the language to where they will have quite a bit of loopholes to still leave pharmacies out of networks. So we're working on it. We'd like more teeth with it because they've got a lot of wiggle room and what are we going to do if they don't abide by it? You know, give them a slap on the wrist. So it's a good foot in the door and I'm happy with it. And I'm really thankful for my representatives for voting for it. That's huge. Being able to at least get your reimbursements up to the level of the large chains. When you look at, as we've, as we've been talking about, uh, the, the disparity, the huge disparity between the small business pharmacies and the, the, the bigger ones out there. Oliver, good things are also happening in Oklahoma. And I was wondering if you could share a little bit about, you know, what, what's been happening there and who all has been behind the, the good movement you've got, you've got going there. Sure. Yeah. Last year was a big year in Oklahoma. Um, we passed a bill, um, House Bill 2632. Um, it was uh, ran by Marcus McIntyre. 
um, and also uh, strongly supportive. We've got a couple of pharmacists, one in the House and one in the Senate, uh, T.J. Marty in the House and Rob Stanvich in the Senate. Um, you know, all great champions for um, the Oklahoma pharmacy um, profession. And so we're blessed um, in that department. And um, last year we got a lot of support on this bill, and it's it's similar to to Jeremy's bill up there. And um, you know that the, the big point is you know they have to reimburse us the same that they're reimbursing their own stores. Um, they can't. Um, and, and the funny thing is, is we actually had to put this in the um, in the bill. They can't, you know, use deceptive advertising. So you know they can't essentially lie to their, you know, their um, the the PBMs can't lie to their. Um, I guess it'd be their insured people saying, you know, you have to use, you know, our pharmacies because under this law. They can't mandate that. So essentially, all all these state bills, all they're doing is trying to level the playing field. Because if we can play on a level playing field as independents, we will win every time. Okay. Um, you know, if we if we can get reimbursed the same, if we can, um, you know, because we will take better, you know, care of our patients. You know, we spend more time with them. Um, you know, uh, there's there's study after study, you know, showing we're you know, the the patient satisfaction is better at independent pharmacies. So, you know, all these state bills are, you know, leveling the playing field. Um, and that kind of a hiccup that we've run into is um, PCMA, which is the lobbying arm for the PBMs, um, you know, they put a, a stop to kind of this, this the different states who have passed these laws to level the playing field. So, and they sued the state of Arkansas in the um, and you know said that you can't we're covered under ERISA and you you know the states can't you know mandate these things over us um, so you know that put a stop to a lot of a lot of these bills so we passed it last year but our attorney general put a stay on it because um, PCMA sued our um, insurance commissioner. Um, and our insurance commissioner and the Oklahoma Pharmacists Association got together and said, um, you know, we're going to stop the implementation of 2632 because um, we don't want, essentially, we don't want to go through the, the legal, you know, rigmarole, and we don't have the money to get sued and go up against PCMA's lawyers because they have all the money in the world, you know, because they're a $300 billion a year industry. And so, you know, we didn't want to go through all that. So we put our law on hold until we hear from the Rutledge versus PCMA um, uh, Supreme Court case. And, and, and so part of that was that everything would stay the same, you know, contracting and, um, you know, nothing would change from now till we hear, the, you know, the, the Rutledge versus PCMA case. Well, you know, some things have changed and um, Prime Therapeutics, you know, switched up their, um, you know, contracts and, and we're switching to Express Scripts. And, um, you know, so there, there was there was potentially coming down the pipe some big decreases in reimbursement. And our, um, our Attorney General, you know, we took it to him and said, hey, you know, this was supposed to be a, you know, remain status quo. And um, that obviously didn't happen. And so um, we actually here recently got the word that they are lifting the stay because, um, you know, there's there's about 40 percent of 
plans in Oklahoma that are not protected under the ERISA. So, you know, this 2632, no matter what, is going to cover those 40%, no matter which way the, the Rutledge PCMA case goes, because these, these plans are um, not under ERISA, you know, protection. So, you know, we are going to roll out this, this great bill um, in the next few months for the, the, the 40% that are remaining um, and, you know, start to get a little relief from that. So we're, we're blessed to have the support of our um, insurance commissioner on that and our attorney general. So we're, we're thankful for that. And, and you know, we're, we're getting some things done in Oklahoma. Yeah, it's really exciting watching Oklahoma and watching Virginia and even the recent win in New York. So New York's been a long time in the making, but they are switching back to fee for service in their Medicaid uh, pharmacy coverage. These are these are things that happen that give us hope, you know, for other states where this isn't so much the case where pharmacies are so under the thumb of, of PBMs. Uh, they have we've they've been told we've been told as an industry you know that that ERISA prevents them from being able to operate like a, a normal business might be able to operate well you know PCMA as you mentioned that for those who do not know PCMA that's the Pharmaceutical Care Management Association they as Oliver said they are the lobbying arm for PBMs they've always made you know what seem to be very effective arguments about what ERISA will allow and what it won't allow so there's a lot at stake with that. Supreme Court case coming up in the next several weeks. I'm reminded, as I'm listening to you, Oliver, I'm reminded of how, you know, when I was first learning about all of this, how hard it was to believe any of this could be happening. So for anyone who'd be listening to this, you might be in the industry, you might be a pharmacist or a pharmacy owner or a pharmacy tech, or you might be a patient and you might be listening to this and thinking, how can any of this be legal? How can how can a business be legally uh, able to operate or forced to operate and not be able to even recover the basic cost of the material they're selling? That can't possibly be right. That You couldn't possibly be right about what you're talking about. And for anyone who would be thinking of that, I would say, yeah, I used to think that too. And, and the reason that you would think that is because in this country, our businesses typically operate in a free market, right? So pharmacy is not a free market. It's, uh, in fact, healthcare, even though it's, it's privatized and, you know, our, our country is very proud of the, the system that we have here, pharmacy itself is one of the areas where pharmacists don't get to call the shots, uh, I'm curious, Jeremy, uh, when you look at the industry, you said you're a second generation pharmacist, you grew up around this. When you look at, you know, where it was when you first started and, and where it is now, what, what are your impressions about the changes and how did we get here? Oh, it's awful. It's a PBM encroachment. They started off and they were supposed to save people money by, you know, negotiating and leveraging and doing all this, but they were legislated exemptions and given market advantages. And whenever they started being allowed to purchase pharmacies, it just started going off the rails. Part D gave them so much power, so much power. And it's, they're one giant conflict of interest and you can't have a market like that. It's not a free market. It's healthcare right now is such a mess. I'm as free market as they come. I'm ready to just go with 
full uh, Medicare for all if we have to just to get rid of PBMs because they've caused such an issue because they're taking rebates, they're inflating prices across the board, and they're pocketing billions. $300 billion a year industry, $300 billion. And what do they do? What do they contribute? Nothing. Paperwork. It's, we've went from back in the day where pharmacists and pharmacies, they could come out and they were doing well. They were taking care of the community. They were making good money and they were giving back and it was great. Everyone had great health care and people could actually pay for brand name drugs. You didn't have to have it covered. You, you could actually up pay it a little bit because it wasn't that unreasonably priced. But because PBMs get so much of a rebate, those costs just keep going up and up and up. It's all a giant scam. And that's one of the biggest things is you are able to hire a lot more help. You know, you see what happened to these poor CVS uh, workers who are understaffed. It, it's because of reimbursements. And I've, I've seen a lot of younger CVS pharmacists who, you know, I, they're around my age, but, you know, I grew up in this. I saw what it used to be. And they were like, they going on about how if they got reimbursements, that wouldn't make CVS hire more help. That would make them do this. And I tried to explain to them back in the day, you just had excess help. Yeah, yeah, you just did it. You had a lot more to spread around and everyone got better care and drugs were not that expensive. But now we just have these ridiculously priced medications that PPMs are pocketing more than the drug manufacturers are making. We're not making a dime on them and we're spending most of our money on these brand name drugs that we're just breaking even on, maybe, if we're lucky. It's, it has changed drastically. And it has, the pricing models have become so ridiculous. AWP shouldn't even exist anymore. Uh, they've made it so complicated. Most older pharmacists who own their own pharmacy, they don't, they don't even bother with it. They, my dad, he, he didn't even really understand like what was going on with GER fees. I, I had to explain that to him. And you know, dad pays pretty good attention. It's, it's sneaky and they sneak new ways in and they encroach so much. It's just little by little. And it's gotten to the point that there's nothing left. The entire market's gone. They've taken the entire market share, $300 billion. Yeah, do that's just one segment, just one segment that's 300 billion. It's the fallacy of managed care. At least that's, that's how I look at it. Uh, Putt will, Putt does a lot of, uh, frontline work. We attend conferences and meetings where we can meet with legislators. Uh, we talk with uh, a lot of um, legislators in many ways. They're just lay, lay people. Right? They, they don't know our business. So we are there to help explain. And what comes up time and time again is this question of the free market and, and managed care. And managed care is such a good thing, right? I mean, managed care oh. is supposed to keep the cost down. If we didn't have managed care, well, God, the prices would shoot through the roof. And it's, it's, it's always an interesting conversation because there's such a fallacy about managed care. Managed care in its essence is someone coming in and saying, for your healthcare costs, we will cap it at this amount. And then don't worry about how the sausage gets made. We'll handle it. We'll, we'll, you'll never have to deal with it. You just have to deal with you're going to pay this much for your healthcare or your pharmacy. And then what ends up happening is, on the back end where all the, the you know quote unquote negotiations are happening and the wheeling and dealing this is where you see pbms profiting at every stage of the game right you mentioned the rebates so pbms negotiate rebates and rebates an interesting term because typically as consumers when we think rebate we think i bought that tv 
I'm going to get $50 back in the mail or, uh, you know, like $50 check or something because I bought it. The manufacturer is going to rebate some money back to me. Rebates in pharmacy are absolutely not the same as a consumer rebate. So what ends up happening is in this case, you have rebate, which is really uh, payments or commissions that manufacturers pay to PBMs for every time a drug on that PBM's plan is dispensed. And it ends up sending millions of dollars back into the pockets of the PBMs who then say, but have never, ever even one time adequately proven that they in turn use that money to reduce costs. Our insurance premiums continue to go up, drug prices continue to go up. And then what happens is they're brilliantly positioned to just sort of stand there with their, you know, hands up in the air saying, well, you know, it wasn't us. We negotiated for these lower prices. But but how they're doing this is by undercutting reimbursements so that pharmacies are paid below the cost of the drug. You're effectively subsidizing that patient's health plan by making up the extra cost. And then the PBM is making money from the rebate, from the, the plan the design of the plan and the selling of the plan from the patient's copay and then from other things. So, you know, again, this is such a hefty topic, right? We, there's so many things to pick apart, but there's also other ways that PBMs uh, take money back from pharmacies like transaction fees. So every time a lot, I think people don't realize that every time a, a prescription comes into the pharmacy, there is a teeny tiny little charge that the pharmacy has to pay just a few cents, but then they have to pay it when they submit for reimbursement. And then the PBM makes the pharmacy pay their own, you know, transaction fees, which ends up being, you know, as much as 50 or 60 cents per prescription every single time a claim gets submitted. And it just goes on and on from there. Uh, I'm curious about that. Uh, do you all experience those kinds of transaction fees where, where you are, or are you fortunate enough to be in a state where transaction fees have been outlawed? We still have transaction Oklahoma fees. Oklahoma still has them. So you do. So Virginia and Oklahoma. Yeah, I only know of a couple, a couple of states off the top of my head that don't. That that's that is, again, you know, one of these ways. A few pennies here, a few pennies there equals you know billions of dollars down the line, and and you know, so just one of the many many ways that uh, that PBMs are in this picture driving up costs. And then, of course, there's other things. So, so we had, before uh, we, you know, we started recording, we were all having this conversation. As you guys remember, we were talking about DIR fees, and I said, "Oh, well, if this comes up, you know, we'll we'll talk about it." But again, a whole other topic here: direct and indirect remuneration fees, which started life as a way to was supposed to be uh, a rebate that was given back to the federal government to help keep Medicare plan costs down, but has now become this catch-all. Uh, category of fees that are clawed back from pharmacies to the tune of you know hundreds of thousands of dollars a year and and no one really knows where they go uh, I could tell you where they go uh, <laughs> the boardroom to the shareholders of those PBMs <laughs> yeah 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 we've had some interesting times going over the the uh, transcripts of the the shareholder calls for groups like CVS, where they talk about how profits are going to be down because certain drug prices didn't didn't go up as projected, and and yet the rebates and and the fees and and all of the things that PBMs claim as part of the negotiation process are the very things that drive the prices up. So it, it's pretty crazy making. Uh, well, I and and some, something 
Go ahead, Oliver. You can go ahead. Well, uh, something that, you know, kind of along those lines that, you know, a lot of people who don't really kind of delve into this and don't really look at and don't correlate, you know, everyone is always complaining about how insurance is getting more and more and more expensive. And it's not that, you know, that people are getting more and more unhealthy. So it's more and more to, you know, take care of their health needs. You know, a lot of people don't take any drugs. And yet their premiums are still going up. But all these insurance plans, you know, they all include prescription benefits in their plans. So as these, you know, drug prices are going up due to the, the quote unquote rebates that, that are being kicked back to the, the PBMs, um, as that goes up, you know, that has to be lumped into everyone else's um, insurance premiums. And, you know, I, I just think that that's something that kind of get, gets glossed over that, you know, people who don't really take a lot of drugs don't understand. Um, and, you know, another point is, you know, the, the, the word rebate, I think, is very, you know, kind of glossed over that, you know, in any other industry in the world, um, a rebate in this instance of you're going to pay me this for every time something is used. And that is considered a kickback, which in every other industry, you know, the oil field industry is illegal. People lose their jobs all the time in the oil industry for saying, you know, we'll use your service, but, you know, you've got to come back and pay me, you know, X amount of dollars. And, you know, that's how the mob you know, extorts people, you know, if you're going to use this, you have to pay us X amount of dollars. And, you know, I, I just, I, I find that, you know, almost insulting that this, this term rebate gets, gets glossed over um, because it's not, it's a, it's a kickback and it's extortion and, and it should not be allowed to, to happen. And that's the reason that, that drug prices are going up. Absolutely. I mean, you just couldn't have said that any better. I mean, they, it, it's extortion. All that needs to happen is someone meeting you outside the back of your store with a baseball bat ready to go to your knees, right? It's just, it's criminal. Well, they've, 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 got a ba- they've got a baseball bat to our head every day with yeah, contracts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's, they're there every day at the end of the day with their baseball bat saying, you know, pay up, suckers. Uh-huh. Yeah, and what's frustrating about that is is then the people who say something like, well, why don't you just not sign the contract? You know, I mean, Jeremy, why don't you just not sign that contract? Tell us why not. Oh, not sign the contract. Trust me, I would be glad to never fill a script that goes through Optum again. Glad. But we kind of have to, otherwise we get left out of everything. They own, the big three own 80% of the market. You can't just not sign a contract with them. Otherwise you doom your store. Like it's, it's at the point where they own so much. This is not something that's voluntary. We have to be in these contracts. Right. Right. And and I just want to clarify that, that 80%, because it's really easy to gloss over that. That means 80% of every prescription processed in this country every day is going through only one of three companies. There are something like 39 PBMs out there. Three have 80%. Yeah, you can't, you cannot underscore that one enough as far as I'm concerned. Hey, but refuse those contracts. It's a free market, right? Right. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, easy, how, easy, how, easy. Garbage. And how about the negotiating on it? Have you negotiated a, a good contract here recently, Jeremy? <laughs> I can't even challenge Matt pricing on a single drug. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Just negotiate better. <laughs> exactly. That, free, that's free what I'm market. here for. Free market. Yeah, exactly. Free market. Yeah, it's free market, everybody. It's free market. Yeah. So, so rebates. I mean, clearly, this is a this is a, a very packed topic and and one that uh, you know brings up so much frustration. And you know, for anyone who's trying to understand it, you know, my heart goes out to you because it's taken me a while to understand it myself. It should not be this way. It just seems so logical. You know, you, you buy a product for this amount, you should be able to at least be made, and at least, my God, at least be made whole for the product that you've sold, let alone be able to cover the costs of having the business, you know, of a pharmacy there and available. And yet you have pharmacy benefit managers who have found a way to not only make it impossible for the smallest among them, mighty, independent pharmacy is small but mighty, but they've not only found a way to try to hold pharmacy, small pharmacy down, they have vertically integrated, they've engaged in patient steering, they've engaged in uh, transaction fees, DIR fees, gag clauses. I mean, I, that's not so much something we talk about as we used to, although it does still happen. There are still uh, pharmacies that, for whatever reason, are still getting in trouble uh, with their PBMs for disclosing to someone that they could get a better price by not going through their own insurance. You know, I ignored the, those even when they existed. Did you? Good. Yeah. I, you okay, know what? I On behalf care. of patients, thank you for that because, you know, I'm not a pharmacist, but I am very definitely a patient. And, and when you find out, you know, we're sold this bill of goods that insurance is your friend. It's, you know, insurance is your friend. You need to have insurance because the big bad providers out there, the drug makers, the hospitals, the doctors, you know, they're going to charge, 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 and you need to have this insurance. It, it's really crazy when you start to peel back the layers and you realize the bill of goods that we've all been sold now for so long under the, the seemingly friendly term of managed care. It's just, it's anything but that. <laughs> it's managed extortion as far as we're concerned. Domestic terrorism. Domestic terrorism. Yes, exactly. So here's a question. So we're on the PBM reform podcast. I'd love to know from each of you, what would, what in your mind would constitute reform in the area of reimbursements? And Jeremy, I'll let you field that one first. Uh, I will not stop until it's full dissolution and they don't exist anymore. I think they're corrupt. I think they are the worst thing to ever happen to healthcare on the prescription drug side. Uh, and I will push for that until they're gone. But in the meantime, uh, fair reimbursements, no patient steering, just a level playing field would be nice. And uh, we could easily set reimbursements. We know what drugs cost. It's not that, it's not that complicated, but they make it that complicated. So if we could just get a level where we do a certain price that's established nationally and pay a fair dispensing fee, that would take care of a lot of things. I, I think that is the biggest thing that we need to do is get reimbursement under control and we can kind of go from there. But right now they're, they're Fortune 10 companies and we're sitting around and you've got pharmacies that are doing millions in sales that are going out of business. It's just not right. Yeah, well said, Jeremy. Very well said. Oliver, in your view, what do you see would constitute uh, PBM reform in this area? 
Well, I think, you know, and, and there's not many Americans that would um, disagree with this. And I don't know of any pharmacists that would honestly disagree with this. You know, if and if there's any politicians listening, um, the thing that we need is transparency. So, you know, as a pharmacist, I am 100 percent comfortable with 100 percent transparency, you know, because it's not the pharmacies that are, you know, taking in the profit. You know, we're lucky to break even on most things. And, you know, so when PBMs and drug manufacturers make the argument that, you know, negotiations would not be fair if we had price transparency, that, you know, the, the different drug manufacturers come back and, you know, that we can't have this system that is so opaque and so convoluted by design that nobody really knows what anything costs. So, you know, for PBMs to be a true um, cost saver to our government, to our insurers, there needs to be absolute transparency. It needs to be passed through to the, the customers and, and the patients, because that's, that's supposedly what we're all in healthcare is to take care of our patients. Yet, you know, it seems that all that PBMs are here for is to, um, you know, satisfy their shareholders and make, you know, make it on the top 10 of the, you know, Fortune 500. And, you know, that is not what healthcare should be about. And it, it, it's very unfortunate that things have gone that way. Um, but, you know, I think if, if we could get some transparency in the PBM system, in the, you know, drug manufacturer system, you know, they could absolutely afford to, you know, pay the pharmacy a, you know, national average to cover the drug and then a fair dispensing fee to cover our time and our overhead and, and maybe even a little profit in there. You know, we, we are, you know, in business to, to be able to, you know, pay for, you know, a house for our family and send our kids to school. And, and you know, so that's why we're in business is to make a profit. Um, but we're not in business. We're also in business to take care of patients. And that's the reason we all went to school. Um, but, you know, we have to be able to, um, you know, have a functional um, business model. And the only way to do that is to, you know, provide transparency into the PBM and drug manufacturer system. And uh, I can almost guarantee every pharmacist in America would be totally okay with um, providing that. And so, you know, any politician that, that is listening, um, you know, we're, we're okay with that. And we would, would love to comply um, as long as you can get them to do it. And it, you're going to be shocked at, you know, what's, what's actually going on in the system. Absolutely. Transparency, accountability, uh, PBMs acting in the best interest of the plan members and the patients, which, which will then in turn be in the best interest of the pharmacies as well. I think uh, these are the, the things that PUT is fighting for. Uh, it really, wherever we, we see threats to the industry, you're gonna find us there. But I, between you know, what you've just shared, Oliver and Jeremy, your vision of reform, I, I don't think there's anything that, that I could add that would top that. I just, I really have enjoyed this conversation with the two of you and, and thank you so much 
for your time, especially now, you know, because as I said at the start, we are recording this at a time when the country is facing its worst public health crisis in 100 years, more than 100 years. And I know both of you have been on the front lines with your people and it's, it's, it's not easy. And so I thank you so much uh, for what you are providing to your patients and to all the pharmacists and all the pharmacy technicians and personnel out there. Thank you all as well for everything you're doing and just know that you know, we're here for you. We're fighting for you. We appreciate you. And Todd, I think with that, we end the conversation and I'll turn it back over to you. Hey, I have been a fat, happy fly on the wall because I tell you what, I couldn't uh, want I couldn't want anything more for this latest episode of the PBM Reform podcast series with pharmacy owner Oliver Lackey and pharmacy owner Jeremy Counts, led by Monique Whitney, who is the executive director of the Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency. If you are in the business of pharmacy, I don't care if you're in the healthcare system, long-term care, senior care, specialty, compounding, community, obviously, you must get involved with these associations. You renew your NCPA membership. Go to truthrx.org and understand the importance of becoming involved. Another thing, call your state representatives. Call your state representatives, invite them in, tell them to put a mask on and come in for 30 minutes and be part of the community. Watch what the pharmacies do. Understand what the pharmacies do that impact public health. I can't tell you, 10 to one, remember that. 10 times the patient sees their pharmacy, one time they see their physician. Where is healthcare happening? Who is the hub of healthcare? Understand the impact of PBM reform. Please get these podcasts out. If you listen to podcasts, Make sure you're sharing this. Share this with a representative. Share this on your Facebooks. Let's educate the public. And once again, I always thank my listeners. We love you for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. PBM reform is not a textbook process. This component of healthcare insurance will take time to figure out and will consist of many different players of the pharmaceutical supply chain. If you'd like to contribute information, data, or your own insights on PBM reform, please contact the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Send your email to publisher at pharmacypodcast.com or call us at 412-585-4001.